Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Tom Williams. From the controversy around reading assessment tools to the release of a court-ordered report on school funding, 2019 has been quite the busy year for education in North Carolina. Today we'll hear from defendant and plaintiff representatives of the long-running school funding court case known as Leandro, who will give us their insights into the just-released West Ed report. We'll also hear from two reporters who will talk with us about the biggest K through 12 education stories of 2019. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the US. Kristen Walker, the Deputy State Budget Director, wrote a letter to the Department of Instruction in October indicating that the means by which State Superintendent Mark Johnson purchased and distributed iPads to school teacher was inappropriate. Walker said those funds should have been routed through different account that would have then required approval by the state surplus division and the state budget office. State Board of Education Chairman Eric Davis has raised questions in the past about how Johnson secured funds for the iPads. Schools that have received the devices have been notified that the iPads are on loan from the state for disaster and recovery pilot programs. In a memo issued early this month, State Superintendent Mark Johnson accused the State Board of Education of violating the state's Read to Achieve law, causing more than 70,000 third grade students to be improperly promoted to the fourth grade. State Board of Education Chairman Eric Davis responded to the accusations by saying that the State Board worked with legislative staff to implement Read to Achieve policies and that if the State Board had enacted policy contrary to the law, the General Assembly surely would have taken action. Educative preparation programs could soon be evaluated under new criteria. Currently, if pro programs fail to pass muster on any one of three accountability standards, they'll be sanctioned as each standard has equal weight. The new model would give different weights to different targets with a greater emphasis on students' academic performance in the program and lesser weight given to retention rates and stakeholder perceptions. The proposed accountability model will go back to the State Board of Education in January and on to the General Assembly in February for a final decision. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines, as well as other topics we cover each week. I'd like to welcome to the show J.B. Buxton, a member at large of the North Carolina State Board of Education, which is a defendant in the Leandro lawsuit, and Melanie Dubis, a partner at the Parker Poe Adams Bernstein Law Firm here in Raleigh, who is one of the chief litigators for the plaintiffs in the Leandro lawsuit. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Appreciate Thank you being you. here. So, Mr. Biss, if you will, kind of set the stage for us a little bit. 25 years ago, what were the learning conditions in the schools and predominantly low-wealth rural schools that led to the Leandro lawsuit? Yeah. So, Tom, because of the uh, heavy reliance on local funding for education, there was a big disparity between the education in low-wealth rural counties and what was available in higher-wealth counties that were able to fund education at a higher level. And that resulted in disparities in teacher turnover, disparities in uh, equipment and curriculum and textbooks that were available in the schools and, and all up and down through uh, a child's education. So the lawsuit was brought uh, claiming that there was both a right to an equal and an adequate education under our state constitution. 
1997, the Supreme Court for the first time heard the case and determined that there is a level of adequacy required by our state constitution, and that's a sound basic education. The case then went back to trial with Judge Howard Manning, and Judge Manning ruled that the state was not meeting its constitutional requirement to provide a sound basic education to every child, particularly at-risk children. Uh, and the Supreme Court upheld that in 2004, sent the case back to Judge Manning to implement the remedy uh, for the constitutional deficiencies. And from 2004 until Judge Manning retired, there were several hearings along those lines. Very good, thank you. So Mr. Buxton, um, with the State Board of Education as a defendant, um, what's your overall response and reaction to the recently released West Ed report? Well, I think I can speak for all my colleagues when I say uh, we see it as incredibly helpful at this point. I mean, State Board, both the current and, and former uh, version of the State Board, haven't just started thinking about the constitutional obligation with this report, but clearly this report's a new chapter in a level of findings and data and recommendations about what the state needs to be doing to meet that constitutional mandate. Uh, I think I would want to point out, having been involved over the years in this litigation, as in the governor's office and the State Department, uh, there have been many conversations where the plaintiffs and the defendants have been together like this. And this report comes out not just as a report to the court, but in the context of the defendants and the plaintiffs pledging to work together for the kinds of policies and interventions that are needed to meet that constitutional mandate. So I think it's not only a helpful document, but in the context of a renewed urgency about what needs to be done. Very good. Yeah. And I agree with that from the plaintiff's standpoint. Um, you know, from 2004, the Supreme Court decision until West Ed was designated as the independent consultant, the lawsuit was really a lot of hearings back and forth about what the state was doing to comply, whether it was sufficient, whether funding had been allocated, and then there were funding cuts. And so we, we had a lot of back and forth between the parties. And now with uh, recommending West Ed and with reviewing West Ed's recommendations, the parties really have come together and the plaintiffs are really encouraged with the collaboration and uh, the spirit of collaboration that we've had reviewing the report and thinking about next steps. So for both of you, perhaps, um, why should the average North Carolinian out there be interested and um, wanting to stay up to what's happening with this historic report and um, the lawsuit? Well, I, I, I think it's probably important for folks to know uh, the court has been very clear. The state is not meeting its constitutional obligation. And so to the degree that the state, and I, when I say the state, the General Assembly, the Governor's Office, the State Board of Education, Department of Public Instruction, and frankly local school systems have to find ways to meet that constitutional obligation, which I think the, your average viewer should think of as what do we want a student to be prepared to do coming out of our system of public education in terms of access to post-secondary, high-quality careers, being a citizen, et cetera. This provides a roadmap to get there. It may not be the roadmap the state chooses. It may be, but it provides a roadmap that I think has implications for everyone, whether you've got a child in the public schools or you're just in a community where the public schools are an important source of your economic vibrancy. Very good. And Tom, I think this is important because as Justice Bob Orr said in the second Supreme Court decision, our children are our state's most valuable resource. And this report really does lay out uh, what we need to do as a state 
to meet that constitutional requirement, what we need to, the steps we need to take in order to provide that opportunity for a sound basic education, which the court says is one that allows a student to compete successfully in a complex and rapidly changing society. So it's a really very current standard that we're meeting and West Ed's work is really unprecedented in terms of the research that's gone into it and the focus that it has on North Carolina and on the standards in the court case. So both parties are working with Judge Lee and trying to move it forward. Um, that's an important, an important process. Let's just say everything gets worked out and it moves forward and both parties feel great about the plan. What's different in six or ten years? What do you think it looks like? Well, I think what's different if we all do our jobs is we have children much better prepared for their futures coming out of our system of public schools than they are today. And I, Melanie made a point about this language about students prepared for a complex and rapid, mm -hmm. rapidly changing society. I mean, we're certainly due to look at our system and make sure, in fact, it is set up for educators to support students and for students to have success. I, I think you'll see, um, you know, I'd like to say in, in six to ten years, you're going to see uh, a system that it's very clear how we have as good a teacher in every classroom as we need, as good a principal as we need in every school, how we have systems that allow students to get to post-secondary and high-quality jobs, how we have an early childhood system that gets there, and a finance system, and accountability system that support that work. So it would be a more coherent, understandable system that takes kids through to, to where we need them to get to. Good. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Again, I think one of the really important parts of West Ed's report is the recognition of the importance of the birth through kindergarten years and the expansion of early education uh, opportunities for children, again, particularly at-risk children. I think North Carolina has historically done a wonderful job of providing those opportunities, but I think this report really points out that particularly for certain populations, we need to be focused on birth through kindergarten, on pre-kindergarten, we need to be focused on the teaching pipeline and the quality of teachers, principal preparation, and then again making sure that resources are available so that all students can succeed. And I think if we, as JB said, if we all do our jobs, we will get to a, a system that achieves all of those goals. Very good. So got maybe a little over a minute left in our, our time. <clears throat> What's the next step in the process from a legal procedural perspective that the public needs to be paying attention to? Okay. Uh, Judge Lee's order from February of last year ordered the parties to work together in good faith, which we have been doing, to present to him hopefully what will be a consent order that we all agree to, and that will outline the specific steps to take to reach constitutional compliance. And so we have reported to Judge Lee the progress that we're making and suggested that we uh, will submit to him a series of submissions looking at immediate, short-term, middle-term, and long-term specific steps going forward. So, go ahead. I was just going to say, from the board perspective, we're also sitting, walking right into uh, the budget session, potentially next year for 2020-2021 budget. And so, the kind of proposals we're going to make to the governor and the General Assembly about what we need to move the system forward, both in terms of policy and appropriations. Obviously, we've got an eye, and this report gives us some ways to think about that in addition to the work we're going to be doing with the plaintiffs and all the parties to put a plan together. We can't thank you enough for being here this evening, keeping us up to speed on what's happening, and we're excited as a state and as a community to see this moving forward. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you.
After a brief commercial break, we'll be back to continue our discussion with two reporters who will talk about the biggest K through 12 education stories of 2019. But first, see if you can answer this question. What is the gap between the top 10 and bottom 10 counties in North Carolina in local school spending per student? Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer D? $2,445. Our research has found that per pupil, local school spending disparities between low wealth and higher wealth counties have grown substantially in recent years, creating significant inequalities in how well our public schools are resourced and adding to the litany of reasons why our state is not meeting its constitutional obligation to provide every child with a sound basic education. Joining us to talk about the biggest K through 12 education stories of 2019 are Alex Granados, senior reporter for Education NC, and Jeff Taberi, the Capitol Bureau Chief with WUNC Radio. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Alex, it's been a fascinating year. It Tell is. us what you've been covering, what you see as some of the major stories of the year. Uh, it has been a fascinating year, and it's funny because as a reporter, whenever someone asks me about the big stories, I always think back to the most recent stories, right? But in this case, one of the most recent stories is one of the biggest stories, which is the release of this West Ed report. Uh, people are calling it the Leandro Report. Uh, it has been an anxiously awaited report for months since over the summer. People were waiting to see what this consultant had to say about Leandro and how the state can meet the obligations. And, uh, you know, it was released just in the last few weeks, and I think it's going to have a big impact going forward. Um, what people were really interested to see was uh, what the report was going to say as far as how much money the state needs to be spending. And, you know, about $8 billion over the next eight years, in addition to what we've been spending in order to meet the obligations. So, uh, there's a lot of other stuff in that report too, but that number is really sticking out to people and I think is going to set the tone in the new year. Okay. So, Jeff, you want to add on to that or cite another one? Yeah, no, as I think, as we think about 2019, my hunch is that maybe a few months from now or several years from now, this is going to be the year of inaction, the, the year that not a lot happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a reminder for, for viewers, this was the first time since 2012 that. Uh, Republican lawmakers didn't have super majorities. Uh, so by virtue of having a little bit more oomph with that veto, uh, the governor vetoed 14 bills in 2019, uh, and he sustained all 14 vetoes. Uh, and I think what we saw play out was not a lot of compromise, not a lot of negotiation, and in turn, one of the ways I, I thought about it in my reporting, uh, I use the phrase, and I don't mean to be flip, flippant with it, but, but really I use the phrase collateral damage. Uh, and teachers, educators were, to an extent, they, they were the collateral damage. They were kind of caught in the crosshairs of this debate, this not really a conversation between Republican lawmakers and the Democratic governor about uh, how much more to appropriate uh, to schools for resources, for uh, classrooms, for uh, for for raises, and uh, we didn't get a new state budget, and uh, because of no new state budget, educators, of course, didn't get raises in, in 2019. That was a, for my money, that was a pretty big story. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Alex, other thoughts? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a big story, and that's a story that's going to keep on giving, because if you pay attention to the news, uh, there's still back and forth between Governor Cooper and uh, legislative Republicans. 
over teacher pay, over uh, possibly finding a way to figure out some sort of deal on teacher pay. Uh, and so, you know, it just continues. We, we got some mini budgets that provide some funding to education, but they certainly don't have what was in the full budget compromise that passed the General Assembly. Uh, and so I have to agree with him. It, it was the year of uh, no action. And, um, you know, the General Assembly sessions often revolve around education. So that was a pretty big deal. Other thoughts on key stories that you had a chance to cover? You know, I, I'll work in reverse chronological order here. Um, okay. You know, the, the, the lack of a budget is what lingered from uh, summer into fall into winter. Uh, and there were varying press release, there were a lot of press releases and uh, bickering back and forth about who was doing what for teachers and who was to blame, so on and so forth. Uh, but if we rewind a few months, uh, we had another of these major rallies, right? We had another one of these, these marches on Raleigh or Red for Ed, and there were thousands and thousands of educators who showed up um, in the springtime to advocate for uh, just what they ultimately did not get in the end, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that to me was, uh, we were already well into session at that point, but that's one of the, the more memorable uh, events that played out uh, in 2019 as it pertains uh, to education. Um, and it was, there, there was a lot of energy on that day, uh, but you know, ultimately uh, there, there's still very much uh, a lot of this going on. Um, and as Alex said, I mean, I, I think that it's unclear. There, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty as to what's going to happen with, with education funding um, in, in 2020. I mean, specifically with the budget. Um, and for me, I mean, one of the other, I'll, I'll, I'll add this and then run with it if you will, but uh, I'm interested as we, we go from, you know, a policy year to a political year, as we head into 2020, we head into elections. Um, there are two names to me that are very notable. I mean, Mark Johnson is, is no longer going to be the state superintendent. We know that because he's running for lieutenant governor. Uh, and Craig Horn, who's uh, a, a powerful Republican in the North Carolina House, and he is not seeking re-election in, in his post. He's seeking re-election to Johnson's post. So I think those are two very interesting people, influential people, uh, as part of these conversations, who are potentially going to take on new roles come 2021. But 2020, I think we're going to hear their name a lot in, in education conversations. Yeah, it's, uh, the elections are going to be a big deal. Uh, Superintendent Mark Johnson filed today to run for lieutenant governor. Um, we have a host of Democrats running for the position. At this point, we have uh, at least two uh, names that are familiar to education watchers in North Carolina, Catherine Truitt, who used to be education advisor to Pat McCrory, and as he said, Craig Horn. And um, so, so Craig Horton's going to be a notable absence from the General Assembly, whether he wins or loses the state superintendent's office. He's seen as um, a legislator that people can talk to, whether you agree or disagree with his policies or his uh, politics. He's someone who is uh, kind of everywhere in education policy. You see him at all sorts of commissions and all sorts of uh, you know, gatherings of educators. And, um, and he runs a lot of education bills, and so it's going to be interesting to see what the, the House looks like without him uh, doing a lot of that. And I would offer an olive branch of optimism. I, I wonder about Horn, and if, I mean, playing this out a couple of steps, if he were to be elected statewide, uh, if, he were, if he is the kind of person who potentially could, could broker some compromise and some good feelings between Republicans and Democrats, because there have been a lot of hard feelings here in the last few months, in the last couple of years. Uh, and I wonder if he has the ability to 
maybe bring people together to a, to a degree. I mean, we'll, we'll perhaps find out uh, in, in a year's time or so. Yeah, and I, th I think that's partly his hope. I interviewed him for a story about uh, potentially running for the superintendent before he actually announced. And he talked about, for instance, uh, hoping that he could work with the Republican-led General Assembly to you know, reduce the number of budget cuts that come to DPI and, and that sort of thing. So I think he has seen himself in the role of being someone who, who can reach out and broker compromise with uh, the General Assembly. Very good. We have about a minute left. I'm just wondering, any quick prognostications of what might be some stories uh, coming up beyond what you've, you've talked about here today that you think we should be attending to, looking for possibilities? Well, I think the, the fallout from the West Ed report, what, what happens with Leandro going forward, I mean, I think a big question on a lot of people's minds is, is there, is there going to be an actual order from the court saying that the state has to spend more money? Because right now it's a recommendation, uh, but it's possible the judge could go further. And so I think that's something people are going to be watching for in the new year. Lawmakers come back in uh, mid-January, and uh, we have heard some promises, some pledges that they're going to take that final override vote on the governor's veto. Uh, we'll see if that happens. If it does, it would potentially mean retroactive raises for uh, a lot of educators across the state, and that would, that would be a big deal. We're excited the, about the possibilities that a new year brings. Thank you both for being with us today and sharing your insights from within the field. Best wishes for a great holiday. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. After this break, this week's final word. To be rather than to seem. That's North Carolina's state model established in 1893, which offers our state's current and future leaders an ideal guidepost for actualizing our constitutional obligation to provide each child a sound basic education. Every student, parent, business leader, and community stakeholder will benefit from our state's commitment to embrace the needed results in the court-ordered Leandro report that we discussed today. Prepared over the past 18 months by the independent research firm WestEd, this report provides a plan to address the state's failure ensuring every child a sound basic education, as reaffirmed by the school funding case known as Leandro. Like the strong bipartisan legislation and funding passed this year to establish our state's My Future NC goal, to produce two million adults with a post-secondary degree or credential by 2030, the action plan developed by WestEd can serve as the foundation for developing more citizens who are prepared for post-secondary education and careers. It's imperative to take this plan seriously if we are to meet today's workforce needs of a growing and economically thriving state. Some will try to position this report as a laundry list of new things to fund and that the responsibility for setting the funding levels for public schools rests solely with the legislative branch and not the courts. To that, I would say who is responsible for funding the state's public schools is not in question. That's our legislative branch. But equally clear are also demonstrated in this report is the fact that our state has dramatically failed to meet its constitutional obligation to all children, especially those growing up in poverty in our state's poorest communities. To have a strong and functioning democracy, we must be able to rely on our courts to hold our state lawmakers accountable. In addition to short-term, no-cost actions to improve current policies and funding efficiencies, bold actions required over the next six years to realize the needed long-term increase of targeted funding to meet North Carolina's constitutional, ethical, moral responsibilities to this and future generations of children. Our state can't afford to wait until 2030 to see if we get lucky and hit the needed post-secondary graduation target. Our economy won't thrive without bold investments in an educated workforce. 
our current pre-K through 12 students have a right to a sound basic education in every class, every day, and every year until their graduation day. As in 1893, let's choose as a state to be rather than to seem. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.